Hello and welcome to Ophthalmcast, the audio podcast channel dedicated to ophthalmology. We are a team at Ophthalmcast who strive to provide you audio talks on ophthalmology which are more practical and easily understandable, targeted at students and residents alike. These audios are in no way a replacement to your standard textbooks. We strive to be factually correct, but to err is human. Keep us posted if you disagree with anything that has been said in these recordings. We would be happy to make amendments with due credits. Today we are starting a series of talks on various dyes used in ophthalmology. There are many of them. In this episode, we will restrict ourselves to a compound called fluorescein. We will continue with the others in the upcoming episodes. We start with fluorescein. It was the year 1959 when two medical students, Harold Novotny and David Alvis at Indiana University, were working on an Air Force funded project. They were working under Dr. Hickam, who was interested in studying the cerebral vasculature through the retinal vascular bed. They were searching for a photography technique to capture and estimate the blood oxygen concentrations. The students began by learning to perform fundus photography and they noted what appeared to be fluorescence from the crystalline lens. This led to the question, can we use fluorescence to photograph the fundal vessel? Why not use a fluorescent dye such as fluorescein? The inquisitive students presented the idea to their boss, Dr. Hickam, who gave his approval. They now require to work out the absorption and emission frequencies of fluorescein blood mixture. This part was worked out by James Hartigan at the Ellie Lilly Pharmaceutical Lab. The frequencies are determined using a spectrofluorometer. They found the peak excitation of fluorescein to be around 480 nanometer and peak emission to be around 520 nanometer. So, what is fluorescence? Briefly explained, it is the property of a chemical to absorb a particular wavelength of light and emit another. So, the chemical takes apples and gives oranges. Normally, when you shine a white light on a green object, the object absorbs everything except green and reflects green light. Hence, we see it as green. And if we shine a blue light to this particular object, it will absorb the blue light emitting or reflecting nothing. We shine a red light on the green object, it reflects nothing. Then, we shine a green light on a green object, it reflects green. In case of fluorescein, when we shine a blue light to it, it reflects green. That's what is the meaning of fluorescence. Back to fluorescein. Fluorescein is chemically a synthetic organic compound and its dry powder or an aqueous solution looks reddish-brown to yellow. It is also soluble in alcohol. It is also known by the name Resolcinolphthalene. It is a dibasic acid of the xanthine group with a molecular weight of 330, first synthesized by Bayer in 1871. The conversion of the absorbed light to fluorescent light is almost 100%. 
the tissue binding of fluorescein has two distinct parts. Immediately on exposure, fluorescein binds to proteins available, chiefly the lysine residues. As the exposure time increases, it tends to bind to the ion channels of the cells. The bound fluorescein to the ion channels are shed by the cells along with the routine turnover schedule. In the intravascular state, fluorescein is 80% protein bound and 20% in free form. The excretion is by the renal route. Fluorescein can be used for the eye through the intravascular route or extravascular route. First, let's take the examples of extravascular uses. Extravascular route implies the use of the dye in topical form. The topical preparations are available as drops as well as fluorescein impregnated strips that need to be wetted before use. The strips marketed by most manufacturers have 1 mg fluorescein sodium on each strip. Fluorescein strips provide better control of the volume of fluorescein instilled into the eye and provide a significantly lower fluorescein concentration than the currently available 0.5 ml unit dose preservative free fluorescein eye drops of 1% or 2%. The most commonly employed use is for corneal staining to look for epithelial defects, contact lens fitting and tear film studies. It is also used for investigating the patency of nasolacrimal duct. We instill the fluorescein available as strips or drops into the eye just like any topical application. Close the eyelids for uniform spread. Then we inspect the anterior surface of the eye in blue light which is the exciter light for fluorescein. An appearance of green illumination with the blue light is known as positive staining. Absence of this green fluorescence is negative staining. In a normal intact cornea, the entire surface is negatively stained and the tear meniscus at the palpebral edges positively stained due to stain in the tears. The question arises, why doesn't the dye stain intact cornea? Here what happens is that the dye gets mixed with the tears and accumulates at the site where the tear pooling happens like in the area of an epithelial defect. In case of an intact epithelium, the turnover of tear film and presence of mucin with lipids prevent the adhesion of the dye to the corneal surface. If this barrier is breached, then the tear film can gain access to deeper tissues. On prolonged exposure of the dye over the area of denuded epithelium, the dye tend to bind the cells and stromal proteins. The prolonged exposure to the dye will eventually stain the intact epithelium as well due to its attachment to the ion channel proteins. There exists a test known as Seidel's test. This specific test is used in cases where the integrity of the globe is in doubt. After application of the dye, presence of any aqueous humor leak can be seen as a dynamic negative staining. This technique can be used for corneal ulcers, trauma and also to check the approximation of tissues after suturing the intraocular surgeries. Initially, positive staining with sodium fluorescein was thought to only identify dead or damaged cells. There is new evidence, however, 
to show that it enters healthy cells, resulting in transient corneal staining, or what we now call hyperfluorescence, to differentiate it from pathological corneal staining in the presence of an intact epithelium. So, the time lag between staining and inspection is vital for the correct interpretation. Contact lens fitting is a common use employed by optometrists. This technique is useful for gas permeable contact lens fitting. Here the eye is stained and the trial lens is applied. On observing on the slit lamp with blue illumination, the places under the contact lenses with pooling of tears can be appreciated with green fluorescence. This fluorescence gives the optometrist an idea about the fitting of the lens onto the patient's cornea. The curves are adjusted accordingly. When reviewing the fit of the RGP contact lenses using fluorescein drops, an excess of fluorescein on the front surface of the lens can make it difficult to assess accurately an optimal lens fit. The most effective way to reduce volume and concentration is to use a fluorescein strip. Evaluation of dry eye is also carried out with the help of fluorescein. It is known as tear breakup time. Here, we use the fluorescein to give color to the tear film, hence making it visible to us. So, the integrity of the tear film can be easily observed by the examiner. To test for tear film stability, fluorescein dye is added to the eye and the tear film is observed under the slit lamp in blue light while the patient avoids blinking until tiny dry spots develop. The longer it takes, the more stable the tear film. We know the time taken for the first spot to develop. A short tear breakup time is a sign of a poor tear film. Generally, a tear breakup time more than 10 seconds is considered normal. More than 5 seconds but less than 10 seconds imply marginal deficiency. Markedly reduced tear film integrity gives a time of less than 5 seconds. The tear film can also be assessed by looking at the tear meniscus height at the lower palpebral margin. To study the nasolacrimal duct for distinguishing between anatomical and functional outflow problems, we utilize what is known as Jones dye test. The test is in two parts, primary and secondary. Instill one drop of fluorescein into the conjunctivital sac Put a cotton bud soaked in anesthetic in the inferior meters. If fluorescein is detected within 5 minutes, the system is patent. This is a positive primary Jones test. If no fluorescein is detected, it is known as negative primary Jones test and the obstruction could be anywhere from the punctum to the valve of Hasna. For the secondary Jones test, Wash the excess fluorescein from the conjunctivital sac. Then follow it with syringing of the lacrimal sac. If the fluorescein is detected at this stage in the inferior meters, then it is positive secondary Jones test and implies a functional obstruction of the nasolacrimal duct. If no dye is detected even after syringing, then it means that the dye has not entered the nasolacrimal sac. The implication being stenosis of the puncta or canalicular system, which is an anatomical obstruction. 
Another common use of this dye is for Goldman's Applination Turnometer. We have covered this particular topic in our previous episode. After Applination Turnometry, we now move on to the intravascular use of fluorescein. More precisely, the intravenous use. The intravenous preparations are available 10% and 25% injections in 2 ml, 5 ml ampules and in 10 ml disposable syringe. It is injected into the anticubital vein. It can also be administered orally by mixing sodium fluorescein powder in any citrus drink. However, the absorption is not predictable. The major intravenous use of fluorescein in ophthalmology is for fundus fluorescein angiography. In fundus fluorescein angiography, the principle is quite simple. We inject the dye intravenously to the patient and take fundus photographs. While taking the photographs, we use a blue filter for the flash, resulting in blue-colored flashlight. In front of the capturing film, we have a green filter which will remove all other colors except green from the reflected image. So, we have an image on the film which has only the fluorescence of fluorescein. All other light is blocked out by the green filter. Even a green lesion will not be seen as illuminated since the light falling on the lesion is blue. Here, the blue flash is called the exciter and the green filter is the emission filter. When captured in grayscale, the fluorescence in the form of green light is seen as the bright areas, that is hyperfluorescent areas. To perform this soundingly simple test, we need complex equipments. We start with the fundus camera. In present days, we have wide field fundus cameras. Next, we need the filters to be placed on the flash as well as the camera. Most of the fundus cameras today have the fundus fluorescein angiography accessories included. To perform fundus fluorescein angiography, you need two additional filters along with a regular fundus camera. They are the excitation filter and the emission or barrier filter. While performing fundus fluorescein angiography, the excitation filter is placed in front of the flash of the camera and the barrier filter in front of the captured device or the object or even in front of the film. The excitation filter is a blue filter which filters the white light from the flash to give a blue light of wavelength of approximately 488 nanometers. This wavelength is slightly different in different models. This blue light is absorbed by the fluorescein which is in the retinal vessels and they reflect back the fluorescence, that is, the green light. Rest of the retina will reflect varying amount of blue light that is incident on them. The green barrier filter blocks all the reflected light except those around 533 nanometers. So the only light that reaches the CCD or the film is the light emitted by the fluorescein, green light. When you convert this greenish image to the grayscale image, we get a pattern where the brightness correlates it directly to the amount of fluorescein present. Let's look into the actual procedure. The patient's pupil is dilated and positioned on the fundus camera. Then we note down the time and inject the dye. 
observed through the camera eyepiece or viewer for the appearance of the fluorescein in the retinal vessels. There are five phases according to the flow of the dye. First being the phase of choroidal filling. It is followed by arterial and capillary phases. The third is venous phase where the dye is present in the retinal veins and finally the late phase or elimination. Capture the image sequentially. The images are captured till the late phase where even the choroidal flow is cleared of the dye. It is always advisable to capture few color photographs and a red free image before fundus fluorescein angiography so that correlation of lesions can be done. Interpretation of these images is a large discussion in itself. We can dwell on the aspects briefly. The areas which are seen white is known as the areas of hyperfluorescence. It implies presence of dye in larger quantities than the surrounding or the normogram for that particular anatomic location. Hyperfluorescence is seen in cases of leakage, pooling, staining or a window defect. The inverse is called hypofluorescence. Hypofluorescence is seen in case of vascular filling defects, blockage by hemorrhage, atrophy of retinal pigment epithelium, hard exudates, etc. Various other factors of the body confound the fluorescence properties of the dye. The serum albumin will limit the active dye available for fluorescence. An increase in pH will increase the fluorescence. Further, a compromised renal function will delay the late phase due to delayed clearing of the dye. Like any other synthetic compound, fluorescein has its own share of side effects. Topical carry risk of contamination if solution or non-sterile strips are being used. Local irritation, urticarial or anaphylaxis may result. Intravenous fluorescein can cause nausea, headache, bowel distress, vomiting, yellowish skin discoloration, urticaria, syncope, hypotension, anaphylaxis or in extreme cases, renal shutdown. One additional aspect of fluorescein worth mentioning is that of quenching. If you notice the transparent vial of fluorescein, it is not fluorescent. That is because it needs to be diluted to exhibit fluorescence. Aggregation of fluorescein at a location beyond 2% concentration will cause the fluorescence to cease. This phenomenon is commonly seen in dry eye cases while corneal staining where the tears are insufficient to dilute the fluorescein. Fluorescein is a wonderful compound useful in every part of the eye. There are many more dyes which play important diagnostic roles in ophthalmology. We will continue the series with more episodes covering them as well. Hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. That's all for now. It's Team of the Cast signing off. Do keep us updated on our email offthecast at the rate gmail.com or on our website www.offthecast.com with your comments, feedbacks and demands. Subscribe to us on all leading podcast players by searching for Off The Cost. Thank you for being patient with us and giving us your valuable time. Goodbye and Godspeed.